Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sally Gentry. And we are so glad that you tune in to the Gifted Life. Lots to talk about today. We are teaming with our team members in Indiana. You know Indiana, right, Sally? Oh, yes, indeed. Hoosier State. (laughs) Yeah. She used to call it home. We're going to find out about all the innovative ways that they are reshaping their aftercare program. And guess what, Lori? What? We also have some tidbits for people about writing to their loved one's recipients. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, if you're stuck and not quite sure what to say, we're going to help you with that. All right, tips right here on The Gifted Life, that and a whole lot more. And we hope, it's our hope, that you share what you hear here on The Gifted Life. We try to make it as easy as possible for you to share. Absolutely easy. It's easy peasy. Easy peasy. Somebody smart once said that. Yes, they did. The Joey Boudreaux. And yep. we're, so, we're so easy to find. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Pocket Cast, or whatever your favorite podcast app might be. Yes, and we're active on social media. So our Facebook page is Donate Life Louisiana. A lot of what we talk about here on The Gifted Life you'll find there um, with more detail. Also, Twitter and Instagram at Donate Life LA. You can also find us on thegiftedlife.org. And don't forget, you can give us a call, 504-648-3477. We may even play your message. Yeah, we love to hear from you guys. You are part of our life-saving team. We like to make life happen. You can help us to do that. And it starts by listening to The Gifted Life. So let's do it. excited here on The Gifted Life to have a friend join us. Really, Sally's friend, which means she's our friend too, huh? Oh, absolutely. So sweet. Courtney Talata, she's the manager of Aftercare Support Services for the Indiana Donor Network. So I see why you guys are so close. Similar, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah, similar services. So we're in Louisiana, she's in Indiana, and she joins us now. Hey, Miss Courtney. Well, hello. It's really good to hear you again. You know, actually, Lori, I know Courtney more than just in this role. We're both uh-huh. Indiana people. That's right. Some Hoosiers. <gasps> oh, yes. But we claim yes. you in Louisiana now. Well, I know, but you know. <laughs> and actually, I've known Courtney longer than I've known you. So <gasps> what can is, I say? Oh, my heart hurts a little bit. Hold on, Courtney. Hold on. My <laughs> heart hurts a little bit. But she tells us such great things about you and the things that you guys are doing in Indiana. And so, of course, we had to invite you on because we want to know what's going on there as well. We see Sally with our families. She's part of these families. Uh, You see the relief, the calm on their faces. And I'm just so grateful that you can do that for families in Indiana. So we know you've been at the Indiana Donor Network for 15 years. Is that what you're saying? that's correct. Oh, my goodness. And so I'm thinking we just had a, a podcast and we talked about changes over the years here at LOPA. So I'm sure the same there in Indiana, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen a lot of growth. It's been wonderful. So what brought you to the Donor Network? So my journey with donation and transplantation actually begins before I was even born, if you can believe it or not. Oh. Um, my mom um, actually was uh, had a case of strep throat when she was 15 years old, and that spread to her kidneys, and so she became a kidney transplant patient oh, at wow. a very young age of actually 18. My God. And so, kind of long story short, she received two of her transplants before I was born. 
so I wouldn't be alive without donation. Mm, And she received a third transplant when I was 10, and she's getting ready to celebrate uh, 26 years of having that kidney this summer. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So donation and transplantation is near and dear to my heart for sure. Yes. Uh, well, so what keeps you going after all these years? I know with what you just talking about your mom, but how do you do this? I honestly, it comes from the heart. As you know, you know, working in this community of donation and working with the families we take care of and support every day, it really has to come from the heart. And mm-hmm. um, there's not a day that I wake up that I um, am not excited to come to work and that I'm not um, anticipating who can I help today, who can I care for today in the, the best capacity possible. Oh, great philosophy. So I think that's really what keeps me going. You know, it's very satisfying to mm-hmm. be able to help people in that way. So how many people work with you to help provide these services to families? So currently we have uh, myself and one aftercare support coordinator um, who are full-time, and then we've got three other team members who are actually family services coordinators who are supporting us part-time. So there are a couple of us who are kind of um, chipping in. It's kind of like it all, it takes a village, Uh you know. Uh Um, That's kind of how we feel about caring for our families. So, So, Courtney, what I'm wondering is, what do you all do that may be different that you're aware of as far as providing services to your donor families? Right. So I I don't know how different we are um, simply because, you know, I'm here in Indiana and kind of feel like we're just doing the, we are doing the best that we know how, and we're always trying to think outside the box. So there might be other OPOs within our role who are also thinking this way. I just don't know it. Mm -hmm. But what we have shifted our focus from is, you know, we, we do work for an OPO. So donation is central to everything that we do. However, with our donor families, it's so important to meet them where they are and to start with their needs first. So when families come to us, their problem is not, my loved one was a donor, right? That's Mm -hmm. a positive thing. That's often the very positive that they hold on to Mm -hmm. after the death of a loved one. Their problem, first and foremost, is my loved one died, and that's where we need to start. So we have kind of shifted our um, focus from um, not only donation, but first of all, providing grief support, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, what do you need at this time? How can we help connect you with resources in your area that will help you move through this grief journey, Mm -hmm. along with then secondary donation education, because they go hand in hand. It's just, it's important to know where you should start with a family and um, not necessarily just start with donation right off the bat. Mm-hmm. We're also letting families control the amount of support and the level of support that they receive from our team. So it typically was a standard, you know, 13-month aftercare support program. However, now we're shifting our focus to letting families tell us what they need. So, mm-hmm. for example, do they want to receive detailed recipient information. This is something that we've always shared with them automatically. Well, recently it came up during our donor family council meeting that 
maybe families are not ready right at the time frame that we send it. You know, there's what what is it about four weeks that's a magical number? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they want to wait and they want to receive it six months from now, or maybe they don't want it at all. So we're letting families kind of control little aspects right now, which are actually big aspects of their aftercare journey with us, um, because we shouldn't dictate what they get in the way of support and resources from our team. They should be able to have that control. So when you're talking about the letter, now this is your initial letter after donation? Okay, okay. So, um, you know, we're, we're still sharing with them, of course, which organs were recovered Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, because they have a right to know that and we want to make sure that they are educated and they know the outcome of their loved one's donation. Mm -hmm. Is that by letter or is that, does your staff inform them by phone or? It's actually by phone. So that's something that I take care of um, by phone. Oh, okay. And so when we do that, we're calling them to introduce the aftercare program, to introduce our team, mm-hmm. so that that way when they start receiving information from us in the mail, it's not a surprise and they already know to kind of expect it, right? Uh-huh. Um, so I'm calling and introducing myself, really checking in on them is the most important thing. Right. And then sharing with them the final outcome of their loved one's donation. So which organs, which tissues were they able to donate? Mm-hmm. Then along with that, I'm sharing with them the um, age by decade of the recipient as well as the gender of the recipient. And then at that point, I'm asking them, do you want to receive additional information about these recipients, such as, you know, their marital status, what hobbies do they have, do they have children, those kinds of things. And most families opt in. Mm-hmm. However, we have had a few families who say, no, I'm not ready for that information just yet. So we're respectful of that decision. Mm-hmm. Do you actually do any face-to-face or group work or anything like that? So not yet, but I just got my license in social work. So now after my maternity leave, I'm planning on being able to offer those. So right now, though, we're able to connect them with resources in their area. Mm-hmm. And we use something that's called a next of kin geo map. And it's something that's really pretty cool and innovative. This geo map is a website that works with all of our data within the organization. So our organ team is able to look and see how many organs have been able to be recovered year to date so far. So I thought, how can aftercare use this as a tool to our advantage? Mm-hmm. So what we do is it actually takes all of our next of kin addresses and puts them into a literally a map of the United States so we can see where they are located. It serves a couple pr- different purposes. So this way then if we had a family, for example, in Louisiana, who wanted to connect with an OPO or who wanted to receive grief support, then mm-hmm. I could connect them with Sally and say, although your loved one was a donor in Indiana, mm-hmm. you are actually closer to my colleague Sally Gentry. Mm-hmm. And I would love to connect you with their OPO um, for different advocate opportunities or different resources in yeah, your that's area. Great. Yeah, and so then if someone from Indiana calls and they say, hey, I, I would like to um, be connected with a a grief support group for, um, you know, maybe a a widow or widower, and I live in South Bend, Indiana. Mm -hmm. Then we actually have all of our grief support resources 
populated into this database as well. So I can look and see location proximity-wise which grief support resources that maybe fit that specificity and need are closest to that donor family, mm -hmm. and I can connect them that way. Courtney, I think you are being pretty modest about what you guys are doing that's different from other OPOs. Obviously, I know that you, you, know, you are only uh, located in one and part of one OPO, but clearly doing the geo-mapping and personalizing the aftercare like you guys are doing, that's very cutting edge for the industry from everything else that we've seen. So I applaud you on that. We're always looking for keepsakes and things for donor families in that immediate time where there's, you know, experiencing the most acute grief for a couple reasons. One, give them something of comfort, but two, so they can have something, you know, in remembrance of the fact that they were able to give life. I've heard about you guys doing something that was a little different called Threads of Compassion. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, how that started and, and what that's about? That's right. Absolutely. So we began our Threads of Compassion program in 2010, I believe, and it actually came to us um, from an idea that one of our organ coordinators had as he came from one of the Wisconsin OPOs. So I can't take credit for Threads of Compassion being our program, um, and we simply took that idea and adapted it to what our program needs would be here in Indiana. And so when we began, our goal was originally to have 300 comfort shawls created by volunteers who either did or did not have a connection to donation. And so they would either knit or crochet these comfort shawls, and we would give them to our organ donor families while they were in the hospital with their loved ones. And the whole idea is that, you know, hospitals can sometimes be cold and there's not a lot of color and, um, you know, we just wanted to be able to give them something that was colorful and they could wrap around themselves. They could also um, take it then with them after the donation and be reminded of that time with their loved ones. So now we actually have about 1,500 Shaws on hand. So you can imagine our program wow. has grown so much. Yeah. Our original goal was 300. Yeah. Now we've got, you know, 1,500, and we are giving them to our organ donor families while we're in the hospital with them. And then we're actually also offering to send them to our tissue donor families. So it's important to us that we treat and we care for all donor families in the same capacity, you know, so donation is donation. And to us, that means organ donation, tissue donation, but then also those families who have the intent and who are not able to become donor families, uh, you know, for whatever reason. So if it's a medical reason or circumstantial reason, those kinds of things, we still want to support them. So Threads has grown in a capacity that I could have never anticipated, which is really cool. Oh, neat. I'm sitting here, I'm listening, and you're so calm. And for those of you who don't know me, my mind's a mile a minute, so is my mouth most times. But that's how I feel talking to Sally, like, I'll just calm me down. We always say there's a special person for each job, like, man, Indiana found it, Louisiana found it, on the right track. Uh -huh. She didn't pay me, Courtney, that, either. No, that's Sally blushing <laughs> Thank you here. So much. There you go. And, and then obviously we love 
you know, what you guys are doing in Indiana. And, and Joey was talking before about some race cars and yeah, things like well, that. And I said, well, we got to ask. Yeah, yeah, well, so so uh, you know, being an avid sports guy, uh, are you? Is like it? I, yeah, yeah you can't, right? they, they don't I, know I, that I, around I, here, of course. I don't uh, see as, it as I, I stayed it. up till one o'clock in the morning uh, this morning watching basketball. <laughs> uh, but this weekend, I, I was watching, uh, or recently, I was watching the uh, uh, Talladega, and I saw one of the cars there was a Donate Life, and it was an Alabama Donate Life Alabama car, uh, and on it, I uh, saw a bunch of handprints. Uh, and it reminded me of a presentation that I saw one of your colleagues there, Steve Johnson, give at one of our previous AOPO conferences about the Driven to Save Lives initiative, uh, where you guys are honoring heroes and, and of course, uh, even uh, some of those who are waiting. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So Driven to Save Lives is also kind of like in, we were just talking about Threads of Compassion, um, it has grown in a capacity that our organization probably could have never anticipated, which is so wonderful. So Driven to Save Lives was actually um, born out of um, Justin Wilson, who was an IndyCar driver, and he became a donor at Pocono when he was in an accident in August of 2015. At the time, his brother, Stephen Wilson, lived in Indiana, was also an IndyCar driver. And, you know, he thought, I've got to do something to honor my brother's legacy. And so our organization was in contact with Stephen, and through our partnership with him, Driven to Save Lives has grown in magnitude, um, not only in Indiana. As you know, Indiana is known for racing. And, um, you know, IndyCar, especially right here, the 500, it's the month of May. So we are gearing up Mm -hmm. for that here in Indianapolis. Um, But we wanted it to be something that was known across the United States, you know, and could be really taken to any any speedway um, and any racing in any capacity. So is it um, dirt track racing, you know, where they race midget cars, or is it IndyCar, or is it NASCAR, you know, all different levels of racing. And so, you know, our organization being here in Indiana has really been embraced um, by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with open arms uh, to promote donation um, and it's something that, you know, we can all kind of get behind because um, who wouldn't want to save a life if they, if they had the opportunity? Nice. We like that. And, of course, we watch the headlines as well. And we always get excited when we see the Donate Life emblem, the handprints. We all know what it means. And, and we yeah. love the partnerships as well here in Louisiana. We love our, our partnerships, too. We know that it, it takes us far. So you told us a lot of information. I'm sure there's lots more to get to. We hope that you're going to come back and join us here on The Gifted Life. Heard you say maternity leave earlier. So good luck with that baby. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. (laughs) There you go. We want to tell folks um, how to find you, how to find more uh, of what it is that you do. So indianadonornetwork.org, indianadonornetwork.org. And there's a tab there for folks uh, to find what you're doing, right? Correct. Um, it's underneath of the donor family section. So. Donor family. There you go. Easy to remember. IndianaDonorNetwork.org. Courtney Talata. It has been a pleasure. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
as part of the Gifted Life's Mental Health Minute, this episode, we talk about writing to recipients, so something we know a lot of you can relate to. Yes, and of course, we've got our very own family services guru here with us. Who's that? Sally Gentry. Oh, it is Sally. She's going to tell us all about it. Well, you know, Joey, that's one of the questions that we get quite often when we're talking with donor families. They say, well, I don't know what to say. I want to write to them. I've not heard from the recipients, but... Can I write to them and what am I going to say? Yeah, what do I so, say? Yeah. yeah, that's it. And, and you know, many times for all of us, it's very difficult to write something about someone that the other person has no idea except, well, they help save their life. And that's quite a feat for many folks, okay? So one of the things that we tell people is share information about your loved one, just like you would with, say, your next-door neighbor. What are their interests? What are their hobbies? What did they like to do in their spare time? Were they married? Did they have children? What did they do or you all do together as a family? And that's really just kind of a newsy sort of way Mm -hmm. of sharing information about your loved one. Sometimes it depends on when we send the mail out to the transplant centers because I want you all to know when you're thinking about writing that we don't have direct communication with the recipients. The first letter does have to go through the transplant center. And then many times that opens up the door where you all can communicate back and forth with the recipient and or their families too. But I think it's a very difficult first step for many folks because they're just not quite sure, what if I'm saying something I shouldn't be saying Mm -hmm. to the recipient? Mm -hmm. But then on the reverse side of that, we also get the question from recipients what if we're saying something to the donor family that's going to cause them more grief, if you will? And we tell them the same thing. You know, just speak from the heart, share a little bit of information about yourself. Don't do a lot of self-disclosure to begin with, because if the time comes that you're actually able to meet one another, Mm. then you can share much more information and it will be more like your extended family. Mm -hmm. So that's what our recommendation is. If you have a problem knowing what to say or how to say it, please contact us. You can go to familyservices at lopa.org. We'll be glad to help you through this process. I think that that can be very beneficial. It seems like that's very beneficial, matter of fact, for families to be able to share this information. Sally, quick question, because I've been asked many times, is there any censorship or anything Because it changes hands, they send it to you at Family Services, and Mm -hmm. it goes through the transplant coordinators Mm -hmm. and social workers there at the the transplant centers. Is there any censorship that takes place there or or limitations, or or how does that work? Well, when we receive a letter from a donor family, what we do is we just quickly look it over just for content. We do not edit anything. In 18 years, maybe once or twice, there's been some language that might have been not quite appropriate, but most of the time people are very sensitive and respectful when they're writing. But that being said, if they want to include their name, address, email address, phone numbers, whatever they're comfortable doing, they certainly may do so. But there comes the but. (laughs) When it goes to the transplant centers or to other agencies outside of the state, we cannot guarantee that they will not edit the correspondence because many places, they're more concerned about confidentiality, so they do not share the name or address or any kind of contact information. So people should be aware of that, and we do let them know when we speak with them on the phone about writing. Mm -hmm. And we've seen some um, just greeting cards that were short. We've seen 
letters written right. that were pages right. long. Um, and then we also see families that, that come away wearing all the same color because that yeah, was the loved one's color. Right. The recipient yeah. wears it. So it's neat um, kind of what you discover about certain people yeah. uh, through this process. That's pretty <laughs> neat. Lopa.org, I love that we have resources available because when we get asked out in the community, uh, we can send them there, one-stop shop. So lopa.org, there's a family services tab. So writing to a recipient, writing to a donor family, you'll find all those resources there. So mm-hmm. good one. All right, more to come on The Gifted Life. As we do in every episode, we honor a hero. Today, we're honoring a hero from the Indiana Donor Network, and his name is Chris Curry. This story comes to us from Chris's family. Losing a loved one is difficult, but it's comforting to know that Chris lives on. Giving the gift of life is the greatest act of love and selflessness that any person can give to another. It was around four in the morning when we gathered at the emergency room. The hallways of the ER were desolate. He was later moved to the ICU where we sat in a waiting room while doctors ran tests searching for brain activity. Around one the following afternoon, a doctor walked into the ICU room with 25 of our closest friends and family surrounding his bedside. The news wasn't good. The brother, son, uncle, father, friend that we all love so much was gone. Our family gathered in the hallway where we decided to donate his organs. We felt it important for Chris to live on in the lives of others. We wanted to give other families a chance to keep their loved one so they would not have to feel the pain we were experiencing. It was in Chris's giving spirit that he, unbeknownst to us, had already registered as an organ and tissue donor through the BMV. Anyone that ever met or knew Chris that his smile was infectious. His smile could shine a light in a dark room. He was hardworking and had a vision and talent for interior and exterior design. He was a member of the Indianapolis Downtown Optimist Club and played the Easter Bunny every year for the club's Build the Child Project. He was so excited that he and his girlfriend would be a complete family and would be giving her daughter a sibling. His son is now 10 months old and is a spitting image of his dad. Being such a big kid himself, Chris thought the world of his children. When we heard that there was a match for Chris's liver, it held a special place in his mom's heart as her grandfather had passed away from liver cancer. Hearing that the transplant was successful brought tears and comfort to our family, knowing that Chris was living on through someone else. From the beginning of this new journey, Indiana Donor Network showed our family the utmost care, compassion, and guidance with each and every step and decision that needed to be made. We were kept informed throughout the entire process. Never having been down this road before, there were many questions and concerns, and Indiana Donor Network answered them all honestly and compassionately and cared for Chris as though he were a member of their own family. Losing a loved one is difficult, but it's comforting to know that Chris lives on. Giving the gift of life is the greatest act of love and selflessness that any person can give to another. Although Chris was taken from us tragically, he was still able to pass on the love he had for others after he was gone. And now we pause to say thank you to Chris for the gift of life. 
our question and answer segment today. We always love to hear from you. This one came via email, info at loba.org. Yes, we like hearing from folks. And this question is, in 1992, I registered to be a donor, I think. And also, my driver's license shows me as a donor. Do I need to do anything else to assure that any and all viable organs are used at the time of my death? Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for wanting to say yes. Thank you for wanting to help save lives. So if your driver's license shows that you have that pretty red heart, I'm assuming you're in Louisiana, other states do differently, but then you are a donor. But our most important thing that we talk about is to have that conversation with your family, your That's next right. of kin. That's because right. if something were to happen to you, they mm-hmm. need to know what your decision would be when it comes to donation. So, you know, be secure in the fact that you are on the registry, that you will save lives, but know that we're going to need that family support. So it could be a 10-second conversation. It could be over dinner. Mm-hmm. However, you want folks talking. Absolutely. Easy as Absolutely. that. So we appreciate the question. Maybe you have a question. You want us to expand on something. Info at lopa.org. Or you can always give us a call. And that number is 504-648-3477. And that'll do it for episode 85, guys. What a whirlwind. We learned from Indiana. And it was good to hear from my longtime friend, Courtney Talata from Indiana Donor Network. Shared with us some interesting things that they're doing for their donor families. And guys, we're in the middle of summer. Uh, look us up on our website, lopa.org. On our events calendar, we've got tons of events still going on, even though it's summer. We'd like to see you guys out there. We've got the Essence uh, Fest coming up. Yeah, and we love that because we get to meet so many people and then so many more people join the registry after learning the facts. It's just that simple. And then, do you guys know about this special episode coming up of the Gift of Life? Oh, just a little bit. Oh, man, no. I'm going to sign a little. What are you? What is that? Oh, that's French. (laughs) That's all the same. (laughs) It is sound just a little bit different than your used to hearing, but we think you're going to like it and share yeah, it with your I think friends. So. so you're going to have to stay tuned for that. That's coming up the next episode of The Gifted Life. But hey, today, you listening right there, we want you to go out and do something that you don't normally do to help us make life happen. You can do it. You're part of the team. And man, we appreciate you listening, right, guys? Yep. Yeah, all starts with you. TheGiftedLife.org. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sally Gentry. Our producers are Kirsten Hines and Shalon Carraway. We are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Metairie, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.